0: Today on episode 446 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, how to create a digital speaker or author media kit.
1: Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches. So we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students.
0: Hello, it's Dave Stahoviak, and I am turning the tables on Bonnie today to ask her a bit about a topic that ended up being a very popular topic amongst a number of your faculty colleagues recently, Bonnie, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, we did our faculty gathering in August of 2022. And my friend and colleague, Naomi Kesa, we did a session on how to create an author speaker media kit. And it was so funny because she's just so brilliant at so many things. And I just on a whim said, Hey, you know, would you care to join me for this session? It turns out she used to build media kits like this is what she did for a living for one in one of her jobs. So huh. I wish she could be here today to share. For various reasons, she's not able to be. I'm still hoping to get her back in one way, shape, or form, but we thought we would at least start the conversation today and see if I can't get her to join me at some point in the future. So thanks for being willing to interview me today, Dave.
0: Of course. And my sense of having talked to you and others over the years on this is that there's not even um, a lot of awareness on what this is and why it would be beneficial. And my sense is that there are many of us, including many academics that haven't really ever had any training or any perspective on how to do this well. And so we're thinking that we can cover some of the foundational steps, at least to get us all started. And as I'm looking at the list you've crafted, there are some things I have not done, even though I should have a media kit, but I haven't put this together formally. So I think there's a lot that we can do as first steps for many of us, because of course, many people in your world are doing speaking, doing writing. And even if you're not doing that a lot, this I think it's an opportunity to really have a bit of a move toward recognition and name recognition for the work that you do, even if you do it just occasionally. So, but we should start with what is a author or speaker media kit?
1: Yes. Well, a digital author speaker media kit is one that can be accessed anywhere that someone can access the internet. And it includes visual and narrative elements. They can be quite simple or quite extensive. And it's a place where people could go to get, for example, headshots of you in a couple of different formats or different bios with different links and other information about who you are and how you show up in, in your work.
0: And since we're going on the assumption here that some folks have not heard some of this language, a headshot is literally a photo of you used for professional reasons. Like I know some people know that language, but I'm not sure everyone does, so that's probably a starting point for having something where people can use if they're going to use your, have a bio or list you in a conference proceeding or something like that. Having that, just getting started there would be key. And this is maybe a good lead into our first point of this isn't like you're trying to put together an entire website starting small and this is really key, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We want to we start small because otherwise what happens is it just remains too big in our heads. And in fact, I'm saying we because it's very much a me thing. I know sometimes I will not get started on something that if I had just started in small ways could have grown and evolved into something pretty magnificent over time. And just starting, I don't know, Dave, if you have heard this before, but I, I, I do like this advice of people just Have having trouble exercising on a consistent basis, then stop thinking about it as exercise and just think about it as putting your shoes on and doing something, moving your body in some way for five minutes. And I literally have never done that where I put my shoes on, go outside and start walking. So just five minutes, I've never actually gone. In fact, we do this all the time at night. Like, you want to go for a walk? Only five minutes. And then it never really it never ends up being a short because once you get your body moving. So in this case, once you get your mind and your creativity moving about how you might like to represent, as you said, it could be something as small as, gosh, my head, head shot that I last took was 10 years ago. Probably you'd look different than you did 10 years ago. Although if you don't, I mean, hey, keep that, keep that going as long as you can. But yeah, more me, power to you. For me, one thing that changed over time is I used to wear contacts every day. And then I went to exclusively wearing progressive glasses. And so I'd look a little bit different, obviously. And obviously over time, I'm also changing how I look as well. So having those things that are updated is really key. But starting small. Sometimes you get, you admire something that someone else is doing. I'm thinking of Tom Tobin. He is exceptional at things. If you go to his website, you can see he's got like a comic book that's about copyright law for those of us who are not lawyers and we want to know enough to be you know, living up in the spirit of those things. He has a big brand around a book that he co-authored on universal design for learning. He does speaking so you could go to his website and get all of the descriptions of all the talks that he could give. I mean, he's really far. And it's one thing that I've not really done a tremendous job at over the years as much as I might like to is having really compelling descriptive talks you know of talks that I could give I think that would be more seamless and but it always feels kind of far out there cuz I see someone like him and I get so wow that would be great if I could do that but it feels like I can't and the fact is if I had just started okay well let's just get one description done and ask people what they think about it and then if the next month I did a second one that was kind of a standard talk that I give that type of a thing so yeah um start small start small start small so you can actually start somewhere And it is magnificent how these things can evolve and grow over time.
0: In the spirit of starting small, thinking about this for perhaps the person who occasionally gives a conference presentation or gets asked for a bio occasionally for something for their department or their university as a whole, what's a good starting point?
1: The title of this episode mentions not just how to do a media kit, but specifically how to do a digital media kit. So for me, the best way to start would be to use whatever cloud service it is that you use and create a folder on it, a digital folder that's called media kit. It's that easy. So for me, I use a service called Dropbox and I have a folder inside of Dropbox that's called media kit and that folder I can link to on Dropbox so that anybody can view it. And that's a great way to start because then anything that you put inside of that folder called Media Kit is going to be visible to whoever you share that link to. And this could be, again, it doesn't have to be Dropbox. It could be other cloud-based services, but just the ability to share a link That doesn't let people edit it. They can't add things to your media kit. They can just view the items that are in your media kit. So one way to begin, the smallest of steps would be to create a media kit folder on a cloud-based service. And I'll name a few. And then if I miss any, Dave, let me know. So we've got Dropbox. We've got iCloud. We have, at our university, there's OneDrive that's a part of the Office 365 Google, it could be a Google folder on Google Drive. So all different kinds of options there, as long as the service allows you to share a link that people could view that one folder. And that's a really, really easy way to begin with the smallest of steps.
0: How do you recommend that folks approach a bio? Because I think probably the two most common things that would go in a media kit would be the headshot and then the bio. What's the starting point for the bio?
1: So we've got that folder, that digital folder that's called Media Kit. Now inside of it, you create a folder nested within it called BIOS. And then inside of the BIOS folder, it is pretty standard that if you're going to go out and do talks, there are three pretty standard links that people are going to ask you for. They might ask you for a 75-word bio. They may ask you for a 150-word bio. Or finally, the longer type of bio might be somewhere around 300 words. So in terms of approaching bios, I would start with one. You could go, if if it feels easier to you, maybe you even already have a bio, to get something that's around 300, you could start there and then shrink it down to 150 and then shrink it down even from there to 75. If you don't have anything that you're working with, then maybe you start at 75 expand from there. But in terms of BIOS, having those different lengths, it has been incredibly just such a benefit to me. And then as things changed over the years of my career of having a, a, a media kit, I would, maybe I got a new title at work, so then maybe I would need to update, but the updating doesn't take anywhere near as long as that deep, deep reflection of how you want to approach the BIOS. So I would start with one length, and then maybe set a, a goal for the next month to have the second length and so on and so forth. But also pass it around to people, people that know you fairly well, so that they can see if the language that you're using really aligns with your authentic self. They can provide some helpful feedback to you.
0: I think for some people, writing a bio is, comes pretty naturally. I think for a lot of folks, like that's a hard start, place to start from, of like thinking, like, how would I describe what I do in 75 words? When it's and getting outside of our own brains on that. Do you have any tips, like either what you've seen work for you or for others who maybe are approaching that for the first time and never really put that down um, digitally?
1: Well, I think on any of these types of activities, it can be helpful to go read other people's and get a sense of. What is it about their way of describing that is compelling? And I'll actually put a link in the show notes to a few different people's bios just to kind of give you a flavor of different ways that I've seen people show up. And what I tend to prefer are people that seem like real human beings. So they show up in terms of, yeah, they're credible in terms of their, their careers and what they've accomplished and that kind of thing. But they also seem like a real person you could sit down and have a deep conversation with, and you get a sense of who they are as a person, what their personality is like, and some of their interests outside of their primary function at their job.
0: You have a note on publishers here, and I forgot to ask you about that before we started, but What's the aspect of uh, working with a publisher that's helpful to know on this?
1: Well, this is actually something that my friend and colleague Naomi had mentioned. This was one of her many contributions to our presentation because she pointed out that a lot of times publishers have resources that they could provide you to include in your media kit, but you might not think to even ask them and they might not think to even give them to you. So she said to make sure, for example, that you ask them for a PDF. Of your book cover. And in my case, Stylist Publish Publishing was my publisher for my first book. And they have I mean it's a beautiful flyer. So it's I've got the cover of the book, but it also has the back cover too, with different people who endorse the book and that kind of thing. So from a publisher at a minimum basis, you should have a picture of the cover of your book, possibly some kind of nice graphically designed where you see the cover and you see the back and sometimes they might give you some kind of a discount code to use if you're out at conferences speaking or maybe you're doing some kind of an online session for a group that's bought your book and is now doing some kind of a discussion or they're incorporating it into their class and they might offer some kind of a discount code that they'd like you to use in those particular
0: cases. By the way, could you put a link to your own media kit in this episode? Because I think a lot of folks would like to see that. I was thinking about the other bios you were thinking of linking up, but of course, everyone listening knows you. So it'd be fun to see like just how, I don't think I've read your different three versions of your bio in a while. So it'd be fun to just see like how you've worded that.
1: Yeah. and, And what I'll do is I'll put it in two different ways so that you could explore that possibility In in two ways. So one is most people, if they're going to access my media kit, they go to my website and they fill out a very brief online form, which as soon as they fill out that form gives them access to the media kit, to that folder that I was mentioning. But for all of you, you may not like that extra friction of having to put your email in because you just want to take a look at what it looks like. So I'll put a link into the media kit and then I'll also put a link. If you yourself are looking for a way of leveling up, I hate to use that, <laughs> that cliche expression, but you you may want to put your media kit essentially behind a some kind of a form where they need to give you their email address because for me... I kind of like to know. I, I've had a couple of times where someone who works for the Chronicle of Higher Education has filled up that form to get my media kit. And that, that generates a separate email list of people who not only are really interested in my work, because I also have an email sign up for receiving my weekly email updates, But this is a different kind of a person. You always kind of wonder, well, what was it that made them interested in the media kit? I have found that, generally speaking, they might be journalists or they might be interested in hiring me to speak. And that's a pretty good list. For me, it's a narrowed-down list Of the group of people who maybe have a different type of an interest in the work that I do, and I just like having that set up. But I won't create the extra friction. So in the show notes, you can go and just access that digital folder to see what it looks like, to see how it's structured, or if you want to see what that workflow looks like to actually fill out the form. And by the way, side note, then be on my media kit, which I have never emailed that list, so you don't have to worry about getting bombarded with emails from you. But you know, someday down the road, it may be important to to have that list. For me, if I were to write another book and then to be able to email that entire list of people, that's a really nice list to have, you know, growing, even if I'm not making use of it today.
0: Okay, so we've talked about bios. The other key piece, of course, is the headshot, which we mentioned a little bit up front, but there's some more detail here to think about with what a headshot should look like, especially formats, some technology behind that. What do you suggest people know?
1: Well, I'm going to give you the minimum today, and then as I mentioned, I'm hoping to have my friend and colleague, Naomi Kesa, come on the show, or maybe we'll do a YouTube video or something like that to share even more details around this. But one thing we need to be aware of is that social media sizes are always changing. So once you think that you've got your bases all covered across the different social media, then of course they're just going to change them again. So recognize that. The resolution of your photos really do matter. I was mentioning, Dave, when I was talking about those of us that might not have had our pictures taken for five or 10 years or something like that, not only might we look different in older headshots and photos of us, but the resolution of those photos also may not be up to today's standards and look as good as it possibly could. So you might be appearing pixelated or the quality of the photo that you might want to include. If you were a speaker at a conference website, it's just not going to look that good. So resolution really matters. Another thing that really matters is being able to provide people With different aspect ratios. What does that mean? Well, I might want a square photo for certain types of places I might show up online. I might want a rectangular, as in a landscape aspect ratio, which may be what they're doing for, again, a particular conference or maybe your publisher might be doing that. And then I might want to have a rectangle, but this one in this case is more of a portrait type of a dimensions. And then as far as the pixels themselves, at least 3,000 or more pixels, the pixel dimensions is going to be important to get the kind of quality of photo that we want to have in those cases.
0: Could I add two things on type of photo on this as well too? One of them is to just have some thought to what you're wearing, even if you are taking having someone grab a A smartphone and take a picture of you is to, I think it's generally like good to have someone take a professional headshot of you in whatever you typically wear to work. I mean, it's always weird to me, like when I see really formal, like a tuxedo or cocktail dress or something like that, and that's not the professional capacity that they show up on. The other thing too is, like you're just wearing a t shirt or something like that, and that's again not the professional capacity you show up in. I think it's just like wear whatever you normally wear to work. And then the other thing I would suggest. This is also an obstacle for me when I'm trying to find a photo of someone or featuring them on our episode is if they have a photo, but it's like the entire length of their body or they're really distant. And that doesn't – I mean, the the standard is for you to have that frame mostly around your head, hence hence the word headshot, right? They'll have a picture of themselves, but it's like their full body length, and you can't see it. Like when it's that small – zoom down on an icon on social media, you can't really see who the person is. So just be conscious of that when you're putting together your photo. If you think about those two things and just a little bit of basic lighting, I think you're going to come up with a shot that is really great. And you can get that on an iPhone these days. You don't have to hire a professional photographer to do that.
1: In addition to thinking about what you're wearing, I would encourage us to be thinking about what we're doing. And I enjoy having photos of what I actually do. So if you are a writer, having a picture of you writing, I know that may sound silly, but a few of having a few of those in there in your media kit might be really helpful. And Dave and I, are, in my case, we have pictures of us podcasting. But side note, we're not actually podcasting when we get those photos taken. And that's kind of key for me. And so I like having also pictures of me teaching. When I was out at Tarleton, this is, was this the last trip I took before COVID hit us?
0: I can't remember. It was about that time. I did
1: a couple right in a row, which was really nice, but... They kept bringing me back to Texas. I remember that. And I saw. So, you were in
0: Texas a lot first.
1: I, so, <laughs> I have such fond memories whenever those photos come up on my memories on the phone. I remember, oh, we were all so innocent then. What a day. Anyway, so I had someone who had come a little bit early to the talk I was giving. I asked if she would mind taking a picture of me standing on the stage as we were testing out the different equipment and stuff. And sometimes when I do that, the pictures don't turn out great, but. I'll tell you what, Dave, they show up a lot better than if someone tries to get a picture of me when I'm actually speaking, because I'm going to have some kind of awkward expression on my face or my gesture is just weird. And if I can actually just focus on one thing at a time, in this case... Pretending like I am giving a presentation to a room full of people, but I'm going to be a little bit more conscious of standing up really tall. I like to do that. I like to do what Oprah told us to do many decades again and kind of stick my chin out a little bit. So it's thinking tall, sticking that chin out, all that good stuff. But, you know, it's oftentimes people are willing to just take a few photos of you. And so I would suggest if you're going to, if you're a podcaster, get some photos of you, not actually podcasting, but pretending like you're podcasting so you can get a nice set of gestures and a facial expression same thing for speaking same thing for writing same thing for teaching and if you do that a lot and you do it often enough you sort of make up for the fact that maybe the lighting wasn't that great in that particular situation or it just didn't turn out that well and so I'll typically try to just be purposeful even though I really don't like to have my photo taken. They're just on my phone. So it's not like anyone else has them. And in the few cases that we've hired professionals, they are good about picking out the ones where (laughs) it looks good. So you don't have to do that yourself in those cases.
0: Yeah. I really like the invitation you made on a recent episode on you did on personal branding of I think you told a story of being with a group of students and just saying, Hey, let's just grab our phones and go outside and take a few photos. And whoever wants to use these as their professional photos, great. And I think that's the kind of thing that anyone can do, right? Even if you don't have the time or resources to hire a professional photographer or it's not worth it because you're not doing that much media things. If you just hand someone your phone and by the way, um a pro tip, do that like early in the day if you're doing it outside, like early in the day before the sun's up or like at sunset time. That's like the what do they call that the golden hour in photography. Lighting's usually really good. And You do that three or four times over a couple of weeks, like, hey, we're outside walking between wherever. Would you just take a quick photo of me? I'm like wearing what I'm normally wear to work and do that a few times. You're going to eventually find a photo that you like don't hate, right? Mm -hmm. Like one that you can use as a professional photo. And that's a great starting point back to your invitation of like start small on this. Speaking of the personal branding episode you did, how does that apply to the media kit?
1: one other way that you can be extending your personal brand which I didn't talk a lot about on that episode is having some kind of a color scheme that you use pretty consistently so if you do speaking have 3 to 5 different colors that you use across all of your slide decks and if you go to teachinginhighered.com you'll see my link to the past slide decks that I've used and you will notice that while they do one might be really really pink like, I really got into pink for one of them, and almost the entire slide deck is pink. Pink is one of the four colors that are part of the Teaching in Higher Ed logo. I sometimes will really pick up on the blue, or sometimes I pick up all of the colors. And by the way, you may, not, you may be your brand. So in my case, it's Teaching in Higher Ed. I don't necessarily have it as branded around me, but no one's even going to notice that you're doing it it's just going to be, there's going to be something a little bit more polished. So you're always using the same fonts for the different items that you might include in your media kit. You're always using the same color scheme. And as if you do speaking or that kind of a thing, slowly in very subtle ways, you are becoming that much more recognizable. And that consistency can bleed its way into authenticity in some pretty powerful ways. So spend a little bit of time doing that. If you were to do a search on Google for, you know, create a color scheme, maybe there's a color that you really, really like, and then you can have that. And then you can even, in some cases, maybe it's not colors that really stand out to you, but you really like a picture. And then if you upload a picture to a lot of these websites, they'll, it'll create a color scheme from a photo. And you can try and experiment with that and really um, start to get something. And, and then if you use that over time and you're disciplined about it, it, can really turn out in some pretty nice ways.
0: Yeah, there's some wonderful resources on that now to create color palettes online that a professional designer is going to do for a website or materials if you hire someone to do it. But you can, you can start in the spirit of getting started. You can start just by creating that yourself. If you have a starting color, it'll create a whole palette. It's really, really cool. Uh, how about, should we say more about fonts? I know you're really intentional about this on your slides. What works for you?
1: You're usually going to have, you don't don't want to do anything more than like two or three different fonts, but there are broadly speaking two classifications of fonts. There is a Serif font And serifs are just the little curly cues. So if you picture a capital A, is that A made up of very straight lines with no, or, or when you come down the upside down V, is there a little bit of a curvature that ends that A? And serif fonts are ones that are easier to read. So you tend to see them used in body text. And then you have sans, Serif, sans as in no serifs, no curly cues. And those are typically used in headings. Although, just like all good art and design, once you know the rules, you can certainly break them. But in general, you have fonts that are generally more suited toward headings. You have fonts that are generally more suited toward subheadings and body text. And generally speaking, they were designed to go together. So they've already done the work for you of knowing which ones go together, and just like we were talking about with color schemes, there also are places where you can go to find out, you know, fonts that play together well. That's something that's not something I really know how to do very well. I just know where to go and go. Oh, okay, somebody else has figured this out. So if you were to go across all of my materials, you're going to see the same fonts. And then at my university, in the hat that I wear as a dean of teaching and learning, we have the same thing where there's two different fonts, a serif and a sans serif for each of those two. And those are the two that we stick with across all of our materials.
0: And if, you're, if you've never done much thinking about utilizing fonts intentionally, one other suggestion I think we'd have is use what's built in on your like if you're using Microsoft Word or PowerPoint or Keynote I would probably caution anyone unless you really know what you're doing of like going on the internet and finding some like really I don't know fancy font and downloading it because if you use a font that's not normally installed on computers if you pull up a PowerPoint on a computer that doesn't have that font installed then it's going to revert back to something that you're is not going to look as good so generally you know find the fonts that are already installed in all the common operating systems use Two, of the, two or three of those, and as long as you're consistent, you're really golden.
1: And if you're doing this at work, it is possible that your marketing department may have already made a purchase where you can install the fonts and make sure everybody on your team installs the font, because that's what we like to do, Dave, is sometimes we'll send the file to someone who doesn't have the font, and then, as you said, if they're the ones who display it, if they're the ones who show the PowerPoint and they don't have the font, that's something that I sometimes miss, yeah, with the groups that I work with.
0: I think this takes us to our recommendations segment for today's episode, doesn't it?
1: It does. This is that time for us to make a recommendations. I'm going to start, and then, Dave, I'm going to pass it over to you. We were talking earlier about showing up in terms of in real authentic ways, and I was contacted, not contacted, but someone followed me on Twitter. And a lot of times when someone follows me, I'll just do a really quick glimpse. I'm not always able to do this, but a really quick glimpse as to whether or not I think this person should be included as part of my personal learning network. And it's nothing personal. It's just, does this person tend to tweet about things that I think would be either edifying for me or somehow grow and expand? I guess that's what edifying means. <laughs> but again, I don't want to sound snobby, but it's just like, is this going to be something good to have showing up in my feed? And so I was recently followed by someone named Stephanie. My recommendation is to be you. Just go beyond like what it is that you do, but something a little bit a little bit kind of playful or authentic or really you. And so Stephanie followed me. She's a postdoctoral fellow, and I'm reading now from her Twitter account, postdoctoral fellow at Ohio State, interested in behavioral neuroimmunology. That is a that is a mouthful right there. Near, she can probably say it faster and better than I'm saying it right now. Behavioral ner- n- neuro, Im- that's a doozy. Neuroimmunology. She's probably practiced, yes.
0: She probably knows how to say it. Yes,
1: it was impressive when I read it. And memory in aging, also education, sustainability. Are you ready for this, Dave? And cats.
0: Our daughter would like that.
1: Yes, that's, well, it's funny. This is exactly the thing I thought of when when I saw that. So Stephanie, you only could have gotten closer if it was red pandas, but you're definitely in the universe of our daughter. Yeah, so just, you know, thinking about things. And we talked about having a 75-word bio 150 and 300. How about 280 characters or or something even smaller? Where I instantly thought, well, I'm interested in these things too, and I don't know a lot about it. And you know, it's just a pretty basic thing. I besides which, by the way, I don't just read their bios. I go and look at maybe their last ten most recent tweets and just see how how good of a vibe I'm getting. If we're gonna be good people to be following each other. So and then the second thing I wanted to recommend, it comes from someone who is in more organizational learning as opposed to specifically higher education. And his name is Mike Taylor. And for people to sign up for his emails, he has a a kind of a giveaway, a digital giveaway, and it's called Filling Your Design Toolkit. And it's a free download of an ebook that has all these different resources that you can get that kind of talk through a lot of the things that Dave and I just talked through here. So I highly recommend checking out Mike Taylor's Filling Your Design Toolkit. And I would suggest, you know, signing up. And then if you're, you know, you're not interested over time, it's an easy unsubscribe. He follows all the anti-spam laws and things like that. So those are my two recommendations. And Dave, I will pass it over to you for yours.
0: I have a recommendation that probably there's not a good segue for, other than I'm thinking about this moment in time. It's near the end of 2022 as we're recording this, and inflation is everywhere in most of the places people are listening to this. And it's a really difficult set of circumstances because the economy is changing in a lot of places. Inflation is at highs that we haven't seen in decades. And of course, even the places where people are getting regular raises, those generally aren't in alignment with the inflation numbers. So in effect, a lot of people have taken pay cuts in the last year or so. And we've you know been thinking about that ourselves and like, how do we hedge against that a little bit as a family? And one of the things that we realized in the last you know, six months or so is that we've been using a traditional bank for many, many years where you can go and go to a branch that's in our neighborhood, which, of course, we never go to because we do everything digitally. And I really realized in the last six months or so that there are so many excellent options for online banking now that, at least here in the States, where they have the exact same protections and insurance that all the traditional banks with branches have. And in many cases, there are options these days for much higher interest rates. I'm not even going to say the amount of the interest rates because inevitably it's going to change a month from now, but it's substantially better. And you know we've made some moves recently on just thinking about what where we're doing banking so that we can get interest on money that's sitting in an account and that hedges against inflation just a little bit. And it's ended up being some money, enough for a dinner once a month. So,
1: I suspect people are now pretty relieved that you're not recommending any type of cryptocurrency or no, anything. No, do
0: not. Like. Do not. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, this is just traditional <laughs> cool. checking account, a savings account. Get one with an interest rate. There's so many good options now. That's my recommendation. There you go.
1: Thanks to everyone listening to today's show. This episode was produced by me, Bonnie Stehoviak. Editing was done by the ever-talented Andrew Kroger. Podcast production support was provided by the amazing Sierra Smith. And I encourage you, if you have not yet already, to sign up for my weekly email updates. You can do that at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe You'll get the show notes from the most recent episode and some other good things that don't show up on the episodes.
0: Thanks for having me back. I'm so glad to be here.
1: Thanks for being here. And I'll see everyone next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.
0: Goodbye.